Eric, you there? I'm chewing. <laughs> I don't believe I've heard that particular voice before. Are you a busy Ruby developer who wants to take their freelance business to the next level? Interested in working smarter, not harder? Then check out the upcoming book, Next Level Freelancing, Developer Edition. Practical steps to work less, travel more, and make more money. It includes interviews and case studies with successful freelancers who have made a killing by expanding their consultancy, developed passive income through informational products, built successful SaaS products, and become rockstar consultants making a minimum of $200 an hour. There are all kinds of practical steps on getting started, and if you sign up now, you'll get 50% off when it's released. You can find it at nextlevelfreelancing.com. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hello and welcome to the Ruby Freelancers Podcast. Um, today I am hosting, my name is Evan Light. Normally we have Chuck Wood hosting uh, and I have here Eric Davis. Hi. Who is somewhat conscious, will only ask yes, no questions up. Yes. <laughs> and Jim Gay. Hello. So today we decided we were going to talk about keeping the passion for the work alive um, and the trade-offs involved in doing work we enjoy versus doing work that pays well. So uh, th this came from a um, Skype chat that, that Jim and I, I guess, were getting into on the side during other Skype chats in the Ruby Freelancer channel. Um, and I was explaining that I value doing client work that I enjoy more than earning a buck. And Jim was pushing, pointing back, pushing out, pushing back that but earning a buck is really gosh darn important. Yeah, I think we were both kind of uh, agreeing and disagreeing at the same time. When we were talking earlier before we started recording the show, I was thinking of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which uh, if people aren't familiar with it, it, it basically, you know, the, on, the, on the lowest level of hierarchy, it's like, can you survive? Are you eating? You know, um, do you have Breathing. a roof over your head? Yeah, exactly. That type of thing. And um, and then higher up the scale is like at the top self-actualization, you know, like being pleased with, with who you are. And I think as long as you've got like enough income coming in that you can pay for your house and feed your family and things like that, then you can start going up the path of like figuring out, okay, do I actually care about the work that I'm doing? But there's there's also, well, yeah, okay, so potentially... There's, well, I don't know if this is a matter of potentially, I really need to complete the sentence though. There's the, um, the boundaries where, or where we perceive those boundaries to be in Maslow's hierarchy. I mean, this is something, Maslow's hierarchy itself is something I consider a lot, but the question of where you perceive those boundaries to be might differ from person to person. I mean, the physiological, well, that one's kind of straightforward, but even safety when you, as soon as you, I'm looking at the the pyramid right now, safety, which is the second level up, is a debatable one because we have we struggle with that in the United States all the time. Where do you, when do you consider yourself safe, right? Because we have the TSA. I said, <laughs> yeah, that's um, um, I I recently met somebody from uh, Australia uh, when I was out at RubyConf, and he was uh, telling me he had apprehension about coming to the states because it was so unsafe, and I was like, really? And then after he said that, I started noticing like just how unsafe it is, and like all the terrible things that happen, and uh, maybe wonder like maybe I should move to a new country. 
Yeah, that's a whole different topic and one I would love to explore because <laughs> in the past few years. Yeah, maybe that should be a topic. Where to move to when the the crazy Republicans get elected? Oh, sorry, I went there. Right, and Jim didn't laugh at that one. So um, I guess more back on point. To some extent, I, I think it's important to acknowledge this tends to be, at least maybe for the Maybe for those of us in the podcast, maybe more of a first world problem. We don't have, at least right now, we don't have much of a problem getting work, that is, getting paying work. It's a matter of do we want to be freelancers or do we want to be full-time because you can always sacrifice some freedom and go full-time to be to get the so-called security of having the job. or um, and, and maybe even getting a job that, that you might where you might enjoy the technical work more, but you would have to work in, with more constraints. Or do you hold out for a freelancing gig where the work aligns more with your values? Or do you just accept something because you want the money? Yeah, for me, um, like I think a lot about if I can make something a craft. And I don't know if I've told this story on this podcast before, but I, anytime I come into a conversation like this, I tell the exact same story where... I was, uh, you know, during summer break between semesters at college was painting and uh, painting houses. And like my first day, we were just I, I really wasn't excited about it at all. And I was just slapping paint with a paintbrush on the side of a house. And there was another painter there who was, you know, a pro. And so he was near me doing the windows and he was doing it really, really well. And he just looked over at me and he said, you know, no matter what you do, if you make it a craft, you can enjoy it. And I think. I try to do that with, you know, especially if I'm really unhappy with something, I try to take a step back and think, all right, how can I make something about this enjoyable? How can I take some piece of it and make it a craft? And um, I guess that's why, well, it's, I guess I have to pause and contemplate this a little more. I, I've done that for myself already. Not that, I mean, I I enjoy my career, but I enjoy it because I put effort into making myself better at it. And this goes back to a, a particular quotation uh, or saying that I think I've used on this podcast before. But the um, ancient Greek definition of happiness being um, happiness is the exercise of vital powers along lines of excellence in a life affording them scope. At least that's how they would see it or some of them would see it. And you know, excellence, uh, the uh, exercise of vital powers meaning doing something, well, somehow important to you or, or key to your life along lines of excellence, something that you're very good at in a life affording them scope where you are able to do what you're good at unimpeded essentially. So if you're not good at programming, then well, you it's going to be hard to become a crafts person because you have to get to some point of some point where you feel good about your skill in order to want to exercise it more. And then you have to be in an environment where you can. And for me, that's where I get hung up on some of my contracts, um, because for me, one thing I feel like I'm very good at is cleaning up is I should say editing. I like taking existing things and making them better. It's not just code, um, but I, I, I but I tend to do it a lot more with code. I see like I, I think about in terms of making things better. Like even if there's something that I don't really want to do, and, and as freelancers, you know, we have to deal with it's not just going to work and programming, but you have to deal with the client and you have to have conversations. And I think about how can I make those better? How can I focus on you know the conversation I'm having with the client and making sure we're clear and setting expectations and those types of things. And so I mean, we started kind of 
getting off on a point about passion and we're not, we're sort of just talking about I don't know, something tangentially related to it, but I don't really know. I, I, I think I just I do my best to slow down. When I was talking about passion, but I can't tell if this, if this is Skype again, being half duplex or full duplex. This is one reason I don't like Skype sometimes. Or if you were just utterly ignoring me and just talking anyway. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think it's a problem with Skype. Every time I turn my mic on, I can I can't hear you, but I can hear Eric. Excuse, but no, I I I, I believe you. That actually sounded intentional. Um, I've had that problem with Skype. Uh, weird, and you're on OS 10, aren't you, Jim? This is you know complete. Sec- yeah, I am. So am I. Um, yes, I was. Well, I was starting to talk about where I've ended up leaving clients because they start hemming me in and preventing me from doing what I do well in, in that they instead would want me to do things where I don't feel like I'm as capable and I can't contribute as much and therefore I don't feel as good about the work. Where they're making business decisions that they can't justify to me and therefore I'm doing work that I don't feel is valuable. So one of the so um, I guess both of them really are scope problems where the client changes the scope or the scope changes over time such that I'm no longer, I no longer perceive myself to be a good fit for a client. And I turn down clients also where I just don't perceive myself to be is a good fit where I don't feel like I can add as much value, even if they would have me. Yeah. I um, like when I think about that, when I think back on projects where I've been stressed out, um, it's, often projects where I wasn't paid as much. And over time, as I raised my rates, I became less concerned about my immediate needs for, you know, paying bills and whatnot. And I felt like I was better able to concentrate on being passionate about something in particular. You know, I I think maybe I, I just sort of took things and thought about them more and I would lose sleep over stresses from a job or a particular client when I wasn't being paid enough. And once I, you know, started trying to raise my rate, then that changed. Is, is being paid enough in this context that you don't feel like you were earning enough to take care of your family or you just didn't, or to, to cut the chase, or is it more of your ego is not satisfied? And I don't mean that in an insulting fashion, but in a true sense, you know, your ego is not satisfied because you feel like they're being cheap and they're not paying you what you're worth. No, it was never ego for me. It was, I think it was more or less that I wasn't, at least at the time, and this was years ago, um, but I wasn't, you know, keeping track of my finances as well as I should have, you know. And so when you're not doing that, you don't have good insight into, like, how you're managing business and your money and your personal accounts. You realize all of a sudden, uh, you know, your car breaks down and you've got to pay for something and, and you look at your bank account and you're like, crap, it's going to take me forever to rebuild that, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. So in that case, that really does come right back to Maslow, doesn't it? Because that's all about safety. You don't have that net that you feel like you need in order for you and your family to be safe. Therefore, you're not satisfied and you need something to change. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like even when uh, I've heard when I've heard advice from people and and given advice from people to, to people about starting freelancing, it's always, you know, decide you know, decide a date that you're going to start doing it. And from here until then, start saving as much as you possibly can, because you're going to need that, you know, unless you have some somebody ready to immediately sign a contract with you. Um, you're going to need some sort of backup plan. We, we did an episode pretty much about that sort of thing, getting, or I think, going into freelancing. 
um, I want to say that was a few months ago, but um, not having enough money is, is a huge, or not having enough money to feel safe is just a huge source of stress. And that's something that I've advised people who've consulted with me about becoming freelancers early on to do as well. I, I think, I wonder if it, if maybe it's just me, maybe I'm just so darn picky, but because I haven't had much of a problem maintaining the safety net that is that I've been able to get work generally when I want it and I keep money in the bank that I generally feel like I'm higher up on the pyramid that I, I've achieved the safety. So I'm looking for esteem and self-actualization in my work most of the time. Granted, paying the bills is important too. Yeah, I, I, I think it, it's definitely a spectrum. I mean, looking for something that pays the bills that will give you a path toward that self-actualization where you're just proud of your work and you're, you know, you feel good about it and you don't worry about uh, the money side it might be tough at first, but over time, as you try to find the next project, you, you know, thinking about will this be ultimately a better customer for me if I take this next project on would be good. Like I, I'm working on a project where a brand new developer is brought on. You know, he's been studying Ruby for the last six months plus, and this is his first contract where um, he's he's diving into it. He's super happy. I, I don't know what he's getting paid, but I don't think it's that much. You know, he's brought on as a junior developer, and uh, but he's really excited about it, and he's and he's going for it. But he also has, as far as I know, a, a safety net. So, yeah. So, Eric, what do you think of all this? Well, I mean, I've been listening to you guys, and if I remember how the hierarchy of needs works behind the scenes, it's stuff changes based on circumstances. Like, it's no hard to find thing even for a person. And so, I'm thinking, like in my case, like you know, having my first daughter, you know, I might have been way above safety because we have a you know safety net of savings and a whole bunch of other stuff. But, you know, after she's born, I wanted to build up more savings and have a little bit of an extra cushion there. One thing I've been kind of thinking about, though, just listening to you too, is when does this change? I mean, you know, when, at what point in your life do you feel like, okay, I'm getting self-actualization from writing code, but when does that change to something else? And you're having like an interest change. That's a good question. I, um, Evan might have <laughs> some comment on this as well. Like I, I was writing Ruby code and doing Rails stuff professionally before I ever got involved with any of the you know Ruby groups in the area or started going to conferences. Um, but once I started getting involved with other groups and going to conferences and then speaking at conferences, I had sort of a new perspective on things and realized that there's a lot that I could teach people or that, and there's a lot that I could learn. Um, and so it kind of started going beyond just my daily work, but, you know, making it part of my lifestyle. And a lot of people say, you know, don't, don't choose a job because you'll get paid well, choose a job that you will actually enjoy and, you know, you want it to be part of your life. Did that come through when I shouted yes? <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't. But I'm I'm glad you did. <laughs> God darn Skype. Yes. Uh, well, actually, I bet it came through on my, on my side of my recording, but <laughs> probably not on air. Yeah, I'll just I'll just sound like uh, I'm completely ignoring you for the entire podcast. That's different, how? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying, and it probably didn't get recorded on Eric's side because of Skype again. Ah, uh, Skype. So, yeah, I guess I could talk about that two different ways, right? Um, when I granted, when I got into Ruby, I very quickly got involved in going to the conferences um, because I found that going to the conferences exposed me to a lot 
of ideas and gave me long lists of things to go research. Um, I didn't come at, uh, and neither did Jim, judging by the number of years he's been programming, but I didn't come to Ruby as a new programmer by any means. So it was just a matter of getting exposed to all the idioms and all the tools that are unique to Ruby, um, by which the idioms are really the most interesting parts, I think. But the, the community, I guess, inspired me even more to do work that I liked rather than just trying to use Ruby where I am or was at the time, which was government contracting, and I couldn't stand it. But I guess it, it, I can't – my priorities haven't changed a lot, though, because my wife's health has been getting progressively worse, granted. But I knew my wife – I met my wife shortly – or I guess a year before, maybe – year and a half before I got into Ruby. So um, her her well-being, her health, and her long-term health care has always been some kind of factor. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm really curious about how your decisions affect that because, you know, like a, as your wife's health deteriorates, uh, it's not just, and, and I wouldn't think if it were me, it wouldn't just be the work that I was happy with, but it would be, you know, involvement in a community. You, you've, you've, gone to lots of different conferences and spoken and you've got friends all over the world because of it because you've met these people and so you have this greater community of uh people you know and ultimately it comes down to just the friendships so when times are tough and the the that lowest level of of uh of the hierarchy is you know in jeopardy in some manner then it's it's good to be well connected with with people and rather and not you know just getting a paycheck somewhere because if you're just going somewhere and punching punching a card and getting paid doing it for the cash then you know in those tough times it's it's not really going to be there for you this it sounds like a more utilitarian way of looking at being involved in the community for me it really it really is the love and belonging part because without the community i don't really feel like i belong anywhere frankly i mean without a programming community i sure don't belong where i live (laughs) so no, the belonging to the community has been huge for me. Um, the As far as safety and physiological well-being, I guess like so many other people I suffer from, or so many other Americans, I suffer from the same problem. This is a little bit of a tangent, but Americans have the somewhat unique um, cultural perspective of being very individualistic and wishing to be self-sufficient. I mean, it's part of, we're self-reliant. That's what Ralph Waldo Emerson had his, his famous essay on that. And so it's very hard to, to ask for help. So that's really pretty, it's been pretty low on my totem pole of things because I was like most Americans programmed not to want to ask for help. But it's really good to have, to know I'm not alone and just to know that there are other people out there who give a damn. So belonging to the community following following my passion has given me that if i was just in it for the money um i probably wouldn't have that that's a side effect but that's why i so often tend to tell people that that you know, do what you love and share it with other people and it and it tends to it, it, it's a form of paying it forward it tends to come back to you somehow that's not not that that's at all original and i got it from seth godin and he probably got it from a million other sources you know, I'm remembering one of the things that we were talking about when when we had this conversation a long time ago was um, sort of along the lines of what if, you know, you're really passionate about Ruby, for example, but that community wasn't there. You know, uh, maybe you want to pick up F Sharp, you know, and you just love F Sharp, the programming language, and 
but but there's just no community built around it. Will you still have that passion for it, or would you still follow that passion, or would you look for something like Ruby because of its community? Huh. I, I can't project what other people would do. I know, knowing me, if there's no community, I build one. That I, where if I, if there's no community, I should say I don't build it. I assemble one because the community is made up of people and it's just a matter of getting people to participate. Um, I didn't do that intentionally with Ruby Decamp, but that's what I realized I was doing. Um, and I guess I sort of do that in other ways as well. And I, well, heck, I've been doing that in this area. That's how I, I got my apprentice in the first place was I just go around talking to people about what I like to do. And one day he said, well, I want to do that too. And I said, okay, I'll teach you. So you're kind of like the Power Rangers where you just, you get everybody to assemble and form a giant robot. Hey man, that's Voltron. Heck with this. <laughs> I think I tried to be more topical. I was going to go Voltron, but I didn't know if, uh, you know, it would be good. Yeah, I wouldn't have gotten it. Yeah, Eric's too young. Are you for real? I believe I am real. Let me check. I don't believe... <laughs> I think Eric's only, what, 20? I thought he was like 15. So the final episode of Voltron came out when I was two. <laughs> <laughs> and of course you watched it. <laughs> oh, and I was somewhere... I think in my teens, in low teens by then. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember how old you are, Eric. I mean, I don't really keep track when, <laughs> when people, once people cross 30, it's all kind of the same to me. You're, in, I'm not even sure. Have you crossed 30 yet? Nope. Yep. You're a youngin. That's okay. So you, you watched the Power Rangers then, of course. Uh, my brother did, and that's so why I had to watch him watching the Power Rangers. Yeah. So sorry. Couldn't stand that show. I <laughs> said, but you watched it. <laughs> I, I turned it on once or twice and only did squirm and discomfort and turn it off. Now that's an example of passion. Those Power Rangers, man, if we could be like them. What about Captain Planet? <laughs> no, Captain Planet was lame. The Captain Planet, they were they were very passionate. And then there's that awesome awesome robot chicken spoof. I had to link that. <laughs> Wow, we're really getting out there. <laughs> we are. So anyway, being passionate. Uh, certainly open source contributions. You know, um, there's uh, the Ruby Hangout, which is great, and everybody should check out. Because uh, I know some people who are remote, like so remote that there's no community around them, kind of like you, Evan, and you had to go out and build your own, you know, create your own conference and and morph into something. <laughs> um, there's the Ruby Hangout, and people can get involved in that and, you know, offer to do presentations uh, on that, but also contributing to open source. You know, you kind of get to know people via IRC and GitHub issues and things like that. And that's always good. It's funny. I haven't, I've done a lot of of client work, but I just don't, I don't tend to get roped into open source. I don't know exactly why. I mean, I've written a few gems of my own that, you know, some people actually use a little. Um, I've submitted bug fixes to other gems that I've used, but I don't tend to get roped into maintaining we're helping maintain a project. Oh, well, I suck. I think it's different for different people. I mean, there's, there's always a way to find, you know, like when you talk about esteem and self-actualization, when, when people do use your code and give you kudos for writing it or maintaining it or whatever, that feels good. And so some people, you know, if they're at a job and they're paid to do 
Java or something like that, and they don't really like it, but it's their job. Um, and they might do Ruby at night and really enjoy it uh, and be happy that somebody is using a gem that they created. Uh, that's that's another option of finding happiness. You know, sometimes um, doing things like that, you know, as a hobby is a good way to, you know, manage your your passions. Like if, if people are, are perfectly happy going to a job and, and writing code in a language that they don't prefer, but then coming home at night and doing something they really love, that's okay. I mean, sure, it'd be great to be paid to do what you really love, but you can at least, you know, make an open source project and hopefully find somebody who will hire you to, to write it more or do other things. Well, funny thing for me, I got, I guess I, I got Ruby for a living because I decided working in Java makes me sad. Working for the federal government makes me sad. Gosh darn it, I'm willing to take a, a huge pay cut to go do what I want to do. And then I started doing it and did a lot of it and then ended up making a whole lot more money than I could have otherwise because I was doing something I loved a lot. Every now and then, though, I feel like I start to get a little bored with Ruby and then I learn something else and realize, well, that was just silly. There's so many other cool things I can do. But um, I guess where I'm starting to go with this, what I started, this is a little different, though. What I've started doing lately is I, I've begun a practice not entirely unlike um, what Uncle Bob yeah, Robert Martin suggested in maybe one of his blog posts or one of his books, one of his numerous, numerous, numerous writings that I would have to go Google to, to find a link to, where he suggests um, that a serious practitioner practices every day for at least, I think he said, an hour, where the practice is not in any serious application, but it's done purely for the learning. And... I've been reading a book about this, which I guess I will link. So, hey, I've got a pick. Oh, my gosh. Uh, maybe I shouldn't mention it yet because it's my pick. Um, it's, so it's called Mastery, um, and it is by an Aikido black belt. And it is about how one intentionally becomes better at a skill, not about achieving mastery because he indicates mastery is a path. You don't. It's not a destination. And I, I've long had that view anyway but he has a he has a lot of very interesting perspectives on how we all learn how we approach problems or how we approach learning how a lot of us don't approach very learning in various aspects of our life effectively and how we can try to keep that passion alive by focusing on the practice as a noun rather than practicing as a verb that's a really good uh that's a good pick so uh, someone told me about it several years ago. I started reading it, got distracted again, been focusing on it more. Now reading the book is actually part of my practice, literally. Um, I started half-time reading the book and half-time, of all things, confronting my long-standing hatred and dislike of CSS. Now that's passion. Yes, because I really don't like CSS, so trying to cope with that <laughs> is passion. I certainly can talk about, uh, you know, uh, having those outlets, like sometimes I go home, you know, I've got, I've got four kids and I'll go home and, uh, I would love to tell my wife about how things have been going. Like she's the person who I should be spending most of my time with, but honestly I'm out and working and I'll see her briefly in the morning. And then, you know, at night it's crazy and we have a bedtime routine and stuff like that. And, um, having an outlet that's not at work, you know, that is in the community and I can speak about my nerd speak, um, you know, technical things is good because I'll try and talk to my 
I'll try and talk to my wife about what's been going on at work and try to skip over technical issues. But she does her best to listen to me and nod her head. And, you know, I occasionally will ask, like, what does this mean? Um, so that's good. Still laughing from what I typed in the channel. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess it's a little different for me now. I, I, I had that before when uh, Kim was healthier, um, where there's trying to balance uh, the passion for work and make, keeping that passion for work alive with you know, other things I need to be passionate about or should be passionate about, like maintaining a good relationship with the wife. Now I'm more like a single dad. So it, except there's only so much I can do with share with my wife. So it's a little bit different now, but yeah, that that's actually, I would be curious to hear. Well, heck I, I get, this kind of gets into a whole different area, really work-life balance, but you've got four kids and the wife and you've got a lot of open source out there. How do you balance all that stuff? <laughs> um, it's a question I think I'm often asked. Uh, I don't know. You just do it. My wife is super supportive. And uh, for example, when we got married, she was getting her master's. And so she spent a lot of time, you know, moving forward in her education and she was busy and was going to night school and stuff like that. So she was working. And so she didn't have a lot of time for a lot of things. And we got to, she got her master's and we got to a certain point where it was like, okay, I want to move forward in my career. I want to be able to, you know, do more speaking and open source contribution and other things. And now I'm trying to write a book and finish it up. And it's, it's just sort of the discussion we had, like, all right, well, the, we're going to have some tough times. We're going to have times where you know, I've got to go out and do some things to kind of move that forward. But then eventually I'll be able to pull back and relax a bit. Um, you just just do it. If 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 it was certainly if it was troublesome for, you know, my relationship with my wife or my kids or anything like that, then I would stop doing certain things. Radiant CMS is a big example. I love that project and I love working on it. But I started getting work where people were paying me to do other things and I wasn't able to contribute as much and as my family grew and my needs at home um, increased uh, I had to you know stop contributing um, we've kind of started firing it back up now but um, it's it's stagnated for a large part because I've you know I haven't been able to put a lot of time into it so Eric what about you other than putting lots of interesting emoji into the chat channel I mean it's I'm kind of the same thing as Jim I mean you you kind of have a baseline of all the different responsibilities and keep everything there and you just focus like recently, like I said, as I've been focusing on getting my savings built up so I can take some time off to spend time with my family. That's because in the past, whatever, year or so, I've taken more of the family time and did that into work. And so you kind of have to balance a lot of it and figure out like, okay, I've, it also, it helps with burnout. Like if you get burned out on programming, you know, if you can just do the minimum amount of programming that you have to do, whether to pay your bills or whatever, you can put your energy into something else that might, you know, kill you emotionally or whatever, so that when you go back into heavier programming, you're actually enjoying it. So it's kind of like, you know, different buckets for your passion. And you just kind of have to balance between them and figure out, you know, what am I the most passionate on right now that I can work on and, you know, hope for the best. Interesting point. Um, the past few weeks, to be quite frank, I, I've been coping with some pretty strong depression dealing with my wife's health because she had been especially bad um, starting a couple months ago. And uh, we were very concerned about her. She had sort of stabilized at a pretty 
not so good place. And it affected everything, including my desire to go to work. Um, I mean, it's been like this actually by degrees for the past six months, really, but it was especially bad the past couple months. But what I found, and it, so it affected you know, my desire to work, how much I worked, really, because if I didn't feel the energy, the motivation, then I didn't want to work for the client because I felt bad giving them crappy work. So ultimately, what I ended, what I ended up doing is I you know, changed things that actually didn't relate to work. I made some changes at home that actually made me happier at work. So sometimes keeping that passion alive for the work is, is because the passion can be negatively impacted. You know, for one thing can be affected by another, obviously. So there's, I guess that this gets a little more into left field, maybe sort of, but that, that holistic approach that we have to look at ourselves, not just as freelancers and developers, but we're, we're people too, duh. And there are more things that affect us than just our work. Yeah. And I mean, case in point, like, uh, last, I'd say last summer when my daughter was born, I took time off from work. So I was doing almost no programming spent time with my daughter, but I also got more heavy into eating better and healthy and exercising, you know, all that stuff. Got that significantly good and then took on a client, cut a lot of the time away from exercise and health to do, you know, client work. And now it's like my health, it's not suffering, but my health level has gone below where I would like it to be, but my client works higher. And so now I'm starting to rebalance it back to, you know, start working out again, start eating a little bit better and, you know, cut off the client work a little bit. And it's, this is, I mean, I've done this for years. Like it's just, you balance the different aspects. And if you ever get to a point where it's like, you know, homeostasis and like you're perfectly balanced everywhere, you know, something else in life's going to come at you and change everything. And then you got to rebalance again. There's no such thing in life. It's always change. Yeah. That whole health thing. Right. That's uh, something I'm not at all good at. Um, and there's usually for whatever reason, it's the first, one of the first things I always sacrifice. I don't even, it's not even something I think about enough. And that's part of the problem. One of the reasons I could sacrifice so quickly is it's sacrificing. It's not a conscious decision. It, it tends to just be the first thing that goes. Other things I might actually think about, but taking care of myself. No, food becomes a drug when life gets hard. Eat the food, go do the other, you deal with the other hard stuff. You know, got to work more. Okay, fine. Got to take care of the wife. Yeah, that's hard too, but okay, fine. Uh, yeah, I really eat healthy. Well, I can do that. Exercise. Yeah, when am I going to make the time? I'm on a kind of fixed schedule, so I go into my office, and when I'm done, the caregiver's gone, and exercise is harder. So, yeah, there's um, uh, Amy Hoy uh, pointed out to her her 30 by 500 class this this course called Tiny Habits. You can go to tinyhabits.com, and it's a uh, just free online thing, or at least it was free when I did it. Um, uh, where you, you this this guy's done research on you know how we form habits and how we can break them and uh, essentially he just figures out you, or you you figure out you know what triggers can you use to remind yourself to uh, do something so like if you if you want to eat better or exercise more you can think of something that you do on a regular basis and then after you do that you will immediately do something else and then celebrate that you did it so. That's a good way. I've I've always felt that like forming habits is the best thing that you can do. Um, and I I've you know had done the same thing where I sacrifice my health and well being so that I can sort of get the freelance stuff going. Um, uh, but even even if I just go out you know walk down my street in the morning and come back, uh, I've at least gotten out of the house. You know I haven't gone for a run, but I've done something. Yeah, Eric posted that you know uh, one of the suggestions actually is every time I 
pee. Every time I go to the bathroom, I'll go. I'll do two push-ups. And when after uh, when you're done peeing, not at the same time. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not while you're doing it. That would be impressive, though. Uh, It'd be messy. No, but it's, so after you go to the bathroom, you go, you do two push-ups, and I thought, oh, I'll try that. You know, that, that'll be. You're supposed to pick three things, and I couldn't think of a third. I was like, all right, I'll I'll do two push-ups, and then I realized I would go work in a coffee shop. And I didn't want to get down on the floor and do push-ups on this, you know, nasty floor wherever it was. I didn't know how clean it was, so I I never did that. So I needed to pick one that uh, Eric says after I work out, I will mob the bathroom. <laughs> well, uh, the idea that I had that that get cut off is you get a squatting toilet and it's a twofer because you do the squats and anyway, these are push-ups, nice. not squats. Really, that makes it easier to be <coughs> regular. Anyway, so yeah, Tiny Habits, I did that. Um, it's pretty good. It's like the point of it is I think every anything you're going to do has to take only like a minute or two minutes. So it's like, you know, if you really can't exercise for a minute, then there's a different problem and you need to fix that type thing. It's like the most minimum thing you could do. Okay, so I guess I'm signing up for this Tiny Habits thing like now. Yeah, it's worth it. And it makes a lot of sense. You just, I actually need to get back to doing it, but uh, I know a lot of people have tried it and have really changed their behavior. And actually, I read, we're, <laughs> this is totally off the passion, but uh, I read an article about how we form habits and we seem to have a stack. So like once you stop a habit that you've created, you'll go back to your previous habit. That explains so very much. Yeah, I don't know if it's a stack, but it's you have a basically an existing circuit in your brain of your old habit and if you don't if you fall off the horse on your new habit your brain reverts back to that path because it's an easy one that uh, what is that power of habit i think is the book that talks about that a lot one of the more recent theories i've heard about willpower that willpower is a finite resource and it takes willpower in order to continue to use what you're trying to continue to force a behavior that's not a habit and then when you run out of willpower then you're going to fall back on habits whatever they are so if you're trying to adopt a new habit, but you run out of willpower, well, then you're probably going to break it. You know, that that's a, sounds like a kind of black and white approach to it. It probably is more like a continuum where your willpower bends and then eventually you break. But it sounds related. Yeah, aside from that, I mean, we, we covered a lot. Eric is probably taking a nap now after his lunch. Um, uh, I, I would actually like to... you. Yeah, uh, Evan, you brought up, uh, you know, serious practitioners. I always hate labeling like you're not a serious practitioner unless you do this. Um, but for a long time, I've, I've wanted to put it, make a part of my routine practicing some thing, you know, like uh, just writing code that expresses some design pattern or writing code that uses a, a library um, and throwing it away or, you know, trying to solve a small problem like like the game of life. Uh, implementation for for code retreats. You know that if if I did that on a daily basis or at least every other day, I think I'd be a better programmer. And uh, I need to make a habit to do that. So, yeah, I guess I spaced out. That sounds like a good time to go to picks, doesn't it? So uh, in that case, let's start with Jim this time. Jim, what are your picks? All right, I've got two. Evan's probably going to be jealous that he didn't uh, get to this first. So I don't think you've got to it on the previous one. But a book by Brian Merrick called Functional Programming for the Object-Oriented Programmer. Um, it's on LeanPub. Um, and I 
bought it as soon as I saw that he was writing it a long time ago and had never got a chance to read it, but I just started picking it up. It's a great book, and I've heard really wonderful things about it. And then there's uh, uh, Ryan Big is, um, I don't know if anybody follows him on Twitter or not, but he I've seen him complain about the process of writing a book with Manning Publishers, and he recently dropped out of his book project with them and started writing a book called Multi-Tenancy with Rails, uh, and that's also on LeanPub. So if you search for Multi-Tenancy with Rails, or we'll have it linked, um, it's, uh, it's a good book so far. LeanPub's actually looks pretty cool, just that they provide a fairly simple framework for writing a book. You can just give them markdown. Yeah, Eric doesn't like it. You give them markdown, they give you book. They just, they, what, have the app store tithing-like mechanism involved? Yeah, they're, um, like, I'm selling my book on uh, uh, DPD, uh, getdpd.com, and I really like them, but I have to do all the work of creating the book. Uh, but I never really wanted to write in Markdown, so um, I, things like LeanPub just weren't that attractive to me. So why wouldn't you want to write in Markdown? <laughs> because I don't want to. <laughs> why shouldn't everyone use Emacs? Well, who says that everyone should use Emacs? Eric does. Well, I guess that I listen to what Eric says then, because I'm using Emacs. Right. Yeah, okay. So, Eric, what are your picks? Uh, so I have one. It's actually kind of relevant now, based on, I think, some of the tangents we got onto. Uh, it's by Seth Godin. It's a blog post called Writer's Block and the Drip. Uh, it's very short, um, but it kind of gets into what Jim was talking about, about, you know, becoming a serious practitioner and doing something every day. It's a pretty good read. I'll put the link in the show notes. And yeah, I, I didn't mention, but I, I don't subscribe to the you're not a serious practitioner if you don't practice every day for an hour approach. But it was something that stuck with me because, frankly, I found it a little bit annoying slash insulting. But um, it stuck with me. So maybe I should link it so that way Uncle Bob can can laugh at me. Um or once I go find it, I already gave my pick um, mastery by uh, I forget his first name, Leonard. And I don't have another pick because I've been too busy running my mouth. So that's all I've got. Anyone else have any closing remarks? Cat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thanks. And we'll see you all next week. We hope. Bye. Bye. Bye.